Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. And we'll be your hosts for today. So the Business Diaries is a storytelling platform for businessmen and women to share their stories, the ups and downs of the entrepreneur, if you like, providing the rest of us with all those valuable insights, tips and motivation to keep us going. The storytelling began as live events back um, back in 2017, in fact, and the events now have obviously dried up due to COVID, but We've transformed this into a podcast and Isla and I are pleased to be able to keep the stories coming that way. Today, we revisit a story that we heard back in 2018. Um, The theme that night was an act of kindness. And although, yes, it's based on kindness, the questions since then (laughs) from this story has raised all sorts of questions. Um, And it's all to do with what type of experience we expect as a customer. So do you want interaction or is automation your preferred route? Let's find out. Isla, tell us who's in the guest seat today. Thank you, Lisa. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Kirsten Gibbs to the show. But before we hand over to Kirsten, let me tell you a little bit about her. A self-confessed process geek, Kirsten has been interested in how things work. I heard you chuckle there. (laughs) Kirsten has been interested, well, fascinated in how things work and making them work better for ordinary business people for over 25 years. She's passionate about using process, automation and technology to free humans to be human. Because as she says, when you do that, humans are amazing. And life is better. Welcome to the show, Kirsten. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Kirsten. I love that introduction. Yeah, Well, brilliant. I can't wait to hear your story. So I'm going to hand over the airwaves to you, Kirsten. Thank you. Okay. I don't know about you, but I hate self-checkouts. If there is no option but self-checkouts, I will often dump my shopping and leave. Here's why. First of all, they're a bit like printers and photocopiers and public toilet taps. No two of them are ever the same. So you work out how to use one of them and the next one you encounter is completely different. Most of them have the bagging area on the left and then some designer decides they'll have some fun and put it on the right instead. So you start off, or I start off, confused. They make me feel like an idiot. So it's constantly nagging me to scan something or pay. Or if they don't do that, they make you feel like a criminal. Have you scanned all your shopping today? Or That own bag you've put on the bagging area isn't actually empty, so they won't accept it because they think you're shoplifting. Thirdly, they they take me longer, especially if I'm buying wine because my age has to be checked or I've put two different types of pastry in the same bag or I just make a mistake because then I have to wait for a human to come and put it right for me. But even if not, even if I get it all right, and I've understood the machine, 
I can't scan and bag up at the same time. So if you have more than one thing or more than a few things, it actually takes longer to use a self-checkout than it would have done at a normal checkout where you have someone else helping you. So generally, self-checkouts mean I'm in a really bad mood by the time I left the shop. And what's normally a kind of simple pleasure for me becomes a chore. And all of this, at least in my case, makes it makes them environmentally unfriendly because I would rather get in my car and drive to a Waitrose than use one. I think there's a reason that we love markets when we go on holidays abroad, or at least the idea of markets. We love the possibility of connection, of exchange, of sharing a bit of banter and a laugh with the person on the other side of the counter. That's the very thing that self-checkouts are designed to destroy. More than this, I think they close off opportunities for small acts of kindness that make everyone feel better. And here's an example. Back in 2018, I did a bit of shopping on my way home from my early morning networking. At the till, I waited behind another lady while the woman serving us chatted to an old lady at the end of the checkout. I didn't mind because I wasn't in a hurry and the chat wasn't stopping the assistant from serving us at all. She could scan while the lady in front of me bagged up her shopping. After the old lady left, the assistant explained to the two of us that this was a regular thing. Every day, the 94-year-old looks in to see if her friend is on the checkout. And if she is, she comes in to have a few minutes chat. She never buys anything. She just chats to her friend on the checkout. The checkout lady said, I don't mind. I like dealing with people. And she reminds me of my gran, who isn't around anymore. And I think it helps her feel a bit less lonely. Actually, I think it makes her day. It made mine. By the time I'd packed my shopping, at least four people had been seen, acknowledged as human beings in this exchange that didn't take any longer than the usual checkout. So for me, this is the real reason I don't like self-checkouts. They're making, they're enabling people to be less human, not more. And for me, technology is about helping people to be more human, not less. And actually, today, appropriately, in my daily blog from Seth Godin, he actually said, the battle for most convenient is fierce. It might be easier to stake out your claim to interactions and products that are less convenient, but worth it. That so rings true for me. I think we need to be looking for interactions that are worth it. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember that story so well. And yeah, the, the old lady and the kindness, that was that was a, a really good story based on act of kindness. But also it's a really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, discussing, you know, this this the checkout and the and the automation that comes into it and how it's destroying that humanness. I have to say that I've always been the person that visited the checkout and chatted away to the person serving me. 
But since we entered lockdown, I've switched to using the self-scanning and the self-checkout. Do you think, Kirsten, that the, the pandemic's changed the way we interact and that it will stay that way? Or do you think that's a temporary change? I think it will probably stay that way. I mean, I'm the same. I ended up using self-checkouts a lot more um, because it's a way to protect yourself and other people. Mm. And just seeing how more and more shops have embraced them, I I think it's going to stay. It's more convenient for the shop. Yeah. And it's also about that habit, you know, forming the habit. I think that I, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, it's just not convenient. It takes me ages. I can't bear the time it takes for someone to come and say, yes, you can have that, that box of paracetamols. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it's oh, so I, I used to avoid them. But then because I stuck to that routine through the lockdown, I think that, you know, it's, I've formed that habit. I've mastered that technique. And, yeah, that that's. You know, I put through, I know now that if I'm buying wine or paracetamol, those are the first things that go through. So it triggers the thing, yeah. you know, so straight away and we can get that over and done with. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it, how things have changed. But you think that that's going to be the, the way yeah. we carry on, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I know to, just in, in my own case, I use them, but I use them in different places. So I will go to a smaller co-op store and use the self-checkouts there because that I can catch the eye of the person on the till when the thing comes up for the wine or the paracetamol or the rest of it, which is a is better than waiting in one of the big supermarkets for somebody to be free and come and even mm. see that your light is flashing, as it were. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, so we've we've mastered our techniques, haven't we? Yeah, we've and accepted I think it's, automation, but we've mastered it. And we've we've uh, we've accepted the compromise we're willing to make. So yes. I now shop as a as a combination of what I'd call quite specific and local and online, mm. which I never did before. So yeah. I think that's yeah. interesting because it's it's bringing up the point of convenience versus time. But in your story, you're saying that the time spent on the manned checkout was no longer than the time in fact that you you said that it takes you longer sometimes on the self-checkout and I can completely identify with that heart-stopping moment where you have where it comes up to have a rescan and you think oh my goodness you know yes do I feel like a criminal is is there something lurking at the bottom of my shopping bag that I've forgotten <laughs> um and did I really scan that bottle of wine or the ice cream's melting or or whatever it is quite stressful yeah but I think as a consumer, we have almost a, a decision to, to make as to what is our preferred option. Are we going to drive to the self-checkout? Admittedly, I went to Waitrose over Christmas and I chatted like I'd never chatted to anybody before to the poor <laughs> guy. I, I, I was quite obsessed, I think, being because I am the one who uses a self-service scan. But I think my question is around how it, I think it's an opportunity for small businesses to maybe mm. create a competitive advantage for themselves. Obviously, you know, the bigger stores, they, they want us in and out. At least that's mm. the way I feel. They want us in and out. They want to take our money um, as quickly as possible. But small businesses do have the time, well, I would like to say, to create an advantage for themselves and, I, and to create a space to be social, yes. to build that connection. And I think it boils down to spending time to get to know 
their customers. What would you say about that? Absolutely. You don't, you can't, yeah, the, as you say, the supermarkets are interested in numbers and they don't really care who you are. You know, for years, you know, I've had a nectar card with Sainsbury's, but they know my shopping habits and they're quite happy to dole out reams of coupons every time trying to get me to buy more of the same thing but they don't really know me whereas the difference is if I go to a a small local store they do know me and it's not just me I've seen them talking to other people and going oh how are you today Mr so-and-so so you know I think that is the real advantage for small business we can't beat the big people on numbers so we have to find another way to beat them and that has to be in being more human scaled, if you like. I think so. And finding new ways to create opportunities to build connection with, yes. with our customers. Yes. And I, I, I agree. I think, you know, I'm, I'm an old fart, really. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> objecting, to, I'm objecting to self-checkouts. But, you know, that might be the way it's going to go. And we don't necessarily get a choice about that. But if you're a small business, I think you can understand that connection and interaction is important. And if you aren't going to do it with a self-checkout because or any kind of automation, you have to find some other opportunity. And I think that's where the big companies are missing a trick. They're not mm. providing alternative ways of creating contact. Mm. And small businesses can do that because they're yeah. not so driven by you know tiny profit margins mm. yeah they can look after their customers uh a little better i think can't they yeah uh, especially that... if they know who they are and they know who they're not mm. well that's Definitely. it they have a, they, they'll, they'll have a relationship it's like your example of the farm shop they'll know the customer by name yes mm. um and i think that's a huge mm. difference and that can customers. happen online. It doesn't have to be face to face. Yeah. Well, you don't you buy all your books online with, through through a, a, yes. a supplier somewhere up north. Yes, I buy. I decided I wasn't going to use Amazon anymore, but that was quite awkward because I like buying books. So I found an online bookshop up in Liverpool that's called uh, I can't remember what they're called now. News from nowhere. News from nowhere, they're called, and they're a radical feminist bookshop. They're a cooperative, and they call themselves the Real Amazons. Um, but I buy all my books through them. They, they don't stock them all. They order them the same as Amazon does from a, from a distributor. But uh, every time I make an order, we have a little conversation on the email. We, we chat to each other. So it, the interaction... The seeing people as a human doesn't have to be face to face. I mean, it's brilliant if it can be, but it doesn't have to be. It can be online. Mm. Mm. Kirsten, I've known you for, for a long, long time now. And whenever the subject of sort of processes and unique mm-hmm. selling points come up, I think of you. And because you love helping businesses, you're just a, a huge supporter of small businesses and you love you recognise the amazing factor that they all carry and you love to help them shine through their, their amazing factor um, and, and, and get them bigger but without mm. changing anything too much, I think, is probably 
Is that right? Yeah. A right, no, that, right thank description. You. Yeah. Um, so you talk about you talk about processes and you talk about the promise of value. Can you talk us through what you call the promise of value and why it's so important? Okay. Promise of value. It's it's well, I'll start by telling you what it's not. It's it's not a USP and it's not a mission statement, and it's not even uh, a purpose or your why in the sense that Simon Sinek talks about it. It's it's what you promise the people you serve and how you do that for them. So it's actually way bigger than anything like a mission statement or a USP. It's about how you do what you do in the way that only you can. So I mean, I know lots of accountants and I've worked with several of them. And even though they all do accountancy, you know, at the bottom, you know, the, the basic technology of what they do is going to be the same. You know, they would think about it as we prepare annual accounts and tax returns and all that. The way they do it is very different from each other. And what people are really buying into is not just what you do, it's mainly how you do it. Because if how you do it resonates with their own personal values, they're going to really enjoy the way you do it, if that makes sense. So your promise of value is is about getting across who you are, who the people you serve are, how you are like each other, what values you share, the behaviours you share, and and the transformation that you can offer to those people by through what you do for them. I don't know if that made much sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. It does make sense. And my next question there is, how do you recognise, how do you find out what your promise of value is in your particular business? Because I think it's difficult sometimes to recognise what your customers are seeing as a reason to do business with you um and Mm. you know so where do you I kind of know how we got to that but I'm interested to know what what your thoughts are and how you would guide a a customer to finding out what in their particular business what their promise of value is well I think There's some obvious things you could do, which is talk to your customers, especially talk to your best customers, the ones who Mm. love you most, Mm. because they they are what is called your super consumers by some people. So they are the people who keep buying from you, who buy everything you make, you know, the people who buy everything that you can offer to them and who will talk to you about them. Even the people who complain are worth talking to, because if people complain... It's because they care about what you're doing um, and they could become an opportunity to find out more about your promise of value. Mm. Um, and you can do that yourself or you can hire a third party to talk to your clients for you so that you, you're sure of getting a kind of unbiased view. But actually what I found is the, what a really good place to start is for the business to look at itself. Because once you've been going for a while, you have all this stuff. It's all in the heads of the people that are working with you. And if you can get that stuff out of your own heads, you'll find it acts as a kind of mirror 
for the people that you want to work with. So you can start by looking at yourself, which is maybe a strange way of thinking about it, but it certainly works. Mm. I remember that we we got um, I, I we did a lot of customer satisfaction surveys, and the feedback we found the theme, the the you know the words that kept cropping up again and again and again, and from that we created a customer pledge, just feeding back those words and reasons Lovely. why people used us. So, and we've still got the customer pledge going and, and it reminds us, it's good, you know, it's in our, in our staff handbook. It reminds us what we're good at and, and, and where we stand out yeah. in the crowd, which was, that was the way that we kind of looked at it. Because first of all, in the early days, everyone said, so what's your USP? You know, it was hard to work out. You know, we were like, well, what is it? You know, so then we were ISO 9001 certified and part of that is that you have to have continual customer satisfaction feedback etc so but through that this was like hang on a minute hang on there's a you know this is useful stuff and and that's how we we came about ours yeah no that's a really good way of doing it I think you're touching on how a company as they start to grow they start to scale is how do they articulate their promise of value and then how do they start to incorporate that into their processes? I mean, you're clearly doing that, Lisa, with all of the, you know, the handbook and um, the ISO and all of the processes that you're putting into your businesses. But Kirsten, how important is it for a, a company to have processes in their business? Well, I'm going to say this, aren't I? <laughs> I think it's incredibly important. But when, when I talk about processes, I don't mean what most people think about as processes as you know this is how you file an invoice this is how you or this is how you raise a purchase order this is how even this is how you onboard a client for me the you know everything revolves around your promise of value so the process there are two processes that every business runs which are very simple the first one is you make promises to potential clients and you keep them for actual clients, that's the first process. You make and keep promises. And the second process is you continually improve how you do both of those things. And by continually improving it and getting feedback from those processes, you will potentially come up with new ways of delivering your promise of value, which I call packages. So there's a there's a very big but very simple and almost universal process for every business which is you package your promise of value into something that people need now Uh, you share that promise so that people who need you can find you and then you keep the promise for the people who found you and said yes and you continually approve improve alongside that so process is really important Uh, you know, processes, I look at businesses as what they do. So I'm a firm believer in it's action is what matters. And so if you can build your promise into the way you share your promise, the way you keep your promise, and the way you improve it, then you're living the promise of value because you're doing it every single day as a matter of course, as a matter of routine, mm. if you like. And the earlier you start, the, the easier early, it 
easier yeah. it's going to be. Yes, but having said that, it's quite difficult to do that for a brand new business. It's quite difficult to, you can have an idea of what your promise of value is, but really you don't really know until you've got some customers who love you. Mm. Uh, so you have to have been going for a while and you have to have tested out your idea and slightly nudged it and changed it and refined it and maybe even pivoted completely until you found the thing that people mm. really want from you. Mm. And it, But at that point, which is often when you're starting to grow uh, because you're getting busy because clients love it and they tell their friends. So you, once you're starting to grow, that's when you really need to be thinking about articulating it because mm. you can't get other people to live your promise if you don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you've internalised it by then. You know, you do it instinctively mm. um, and you don't need to think about it but new people coming in will need to think about it to begin with so you need to have it in a form they can learn from I mean it's the heart of the company culture isn't it yeah and it's getting it out of the boss's head and into everybody else as you say yes and in a way that they can relate to and adopt and live with yes and and it's not not too prescriptive I think which is why you know I like to think about process not as procedures and workflow but as a customer experience score so for me it's based around those two main processes of making and keeping promises to the to the people you serve and if you drive it from there you're always focused on the customer Um, so that's why I'd call it a customer experience score and the reason I call it a score because is because for me it's like music. You know, Mozart was a genius. He could, he could dream up an opera in his own head, but nobody else could play it unless he wrote it down. And there's no point in having it in your head if nobody else can play it. But because Mozart wrote his music down, you know, we're still playing it years later, centuries later, we're still playing it. Mm. And so what that does is it doesn't only make the business work better for you and for your clients, it actually makes it scalable because now you can teach other people the music. It's mm. perfect. That's perfect. Can I just take you back to something you were saying about, obviously, that all these processes are really hard. You can't start them all on day one. Mm. So what would you, what advice would you give to someone in the early stages of business to, you know, what, what's the important stuff when you get started? Mm. Well, I know when I started uh, my business, almost the first thing I did was I got somebody else to do my accounts because I, I could do them. I knew how to do them, but I'd had experience before of taking, you know, days a month to, to do them. So mm. the, I thought it, it's not my expertise. I don't want to be doing them. I don't really know how to do them properly. I don't really want to spend the time keeping up to date with all the latest developments in making tax digital or all the rest of it. I'm going to offload that to somebody who knows all that better than I do. So I would say that's the place to start. So to begin with, when it's just you and your expertise that you want to be using to serve clients, 
get rid of all the things that aren't your expertise. So offload your accounts, your HR, your bookkeeping, your health and safety. Um, it might even be some of the technical stuff. So it might be that if you're a driving instructor or you want to run a driving instruction business, you don't do any driving instructing because you can't grow the business if you're busy teaching people to drive. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So I would start, but start with um, start with the things that aren't your expertise that you can really safely hand over to other people without worrying too much about whether they'll get done right because that frees you up to spend all your time on serving clients and it will give you a bit of headspace to start thinking about how you do that so that when you need to take on the next person who is really going to be another you, you have the time to start to document how you do it so that you can get them up to speed more quickly. Yeah, that's brilliant. Fascinating advice. Very, Very sensible. Yes. So, I mean, before we, we run out of time, I'd, I'd just like to pause for thought here and think about the takeaways from today's discussion. Um, for me, I've got to grab that, that um, analogy about the tune in your head and Mozart mm. and how it needs to be written down so that others can play it. I think that's so important to remember at any stage in business. And it's something you can revisit as well. You know, the, what I've got in my mind, have I let everybody else in on that you know I'm yeah. thinking I'm going that way are we all going down that road or are they all going that way it, it, you know it's very important to to make sure that you've communicated and we've talked about the importance of communication many many, many times on these podcasts um but it's it's absolutely true you you do need to be as you say working from the same uh song sheet or the same school yeah and it but it but it could be jazz. You know, you can leave gaps. It can be quite minimal and leave more room for interpretation or less. It's up to you. It's up to what's the promise of value about. Yeah, that's brilliant. Isla, what's your takeaway? M- mine is about, about the importance of treating our customers as humans and talking to them Um yeah, as, as human beings, making time and space in our business to send that extra email if somebody's put an order in or pick up the phone to check that our, you know, customer service is as good as it possibly can be. And, and it's looking at creating opportunities in our business to get better at what we have defined as the best customer service that, that we can offer and to create opportunities in our business to talk to our clients. And then through mm. those opportunities, just coming back to that very basic, you know, the act of kindness. Yeah. Which you'd think would be bottom line basic, but it so isn't in, in so many cases. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking of, <laughs> you know, there's, we've all had experiences yeah. haven't we, where you, you know, you're, you're trying to do something online and there's no way of contacting people. You can't mm. speak to somebody because they don't want you to speak to them because that would yeah. take time. Yeah. Yeah. And the website's designed for you to you click on that and you think you're going to get through to or an email address or a phone number where someone can help you and it just takes you right the way back to the beginning again. <laughs> yes, just, although to be fair, I should say, like, you know, there's loads of stuff I do do online that I'm very happy to do online. I like to pay my car insurance online or um, 
you know, the tax and all that sort of stuff. There's lots of boring stuff that I, I think we should be automating. But yeah. I think we need to be careful. The way I look at it is, and that's why it's a score again, is we need to use it to create room for more humanity and more kindness. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we have a choice often where we do our business. And Mm. I think that, you know, that human connection, yes, we might be able to get our, whatever, our, our business done faster if it's all online and there's a great website. But if we've had to speak to somebody and we've had a really nice conversation and a pre and a conversation where the person on the other end of the line has appreciated our call, yeah, and it's been a nice experience, we're emotionally more connected to that company. Yeah. And our brand loyalty is therefore that much deeper. Mm. Mm. Yes, because I think actually that's what we're looking for all the time. We are looking as human beings for connection. And yeah. And the connection comes back to the kindness, as we've said, haven't we? Mm. You know, it's, um, it, you just reminded me, Isla, just thinking back ages ago now, I remember um, Becky in our office coming, to, she was struggling with something on Sage and she'd reached out to someone at Sage and she came and she said, oh, and she come, came to me and commented on how well the lady at the other end had handled the situation, explained it and helped Becky. And Becky was so grateful. Um, it would all it was, you know, all turned out quite easily. And and but she came to me and commented, I said, that's that's fab Bex. I said, why don't you email her and tell her what you've just told me? Oh lovely. Yeah, because that's said, the opportunity for kindness, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. We've been talking about. And yeah, she did. Yeah. She did. She did exactly that. And the girl came back and the email that came back blew us both away because this girl said, you know, I had a shit day. You really made my day. It, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to just say that, to tell me that, to give me that feedback. It's really made my day. And, oh. you know, so that then made Becky's day. It made my day. And, you know, it was, um, and at the time Becky was doing um, a customer service um, course and she put that as an example in her course, which I have to say, I think she ended up getting a very high score, bless her. Um, But, you know, so it had, you know, it fitted in, it became useful in all sorts of places, but it was a wonderful thing to do. I think maybe I'm going to change my takeaway in the sense that so many businesses right now, I mean, we're recording this podcast in January 2022, many customer service facing uh, businesses that are heavily, heavily reliant on staff, such as hospitality trade, shops, retail, you know, they're heavily dependent on having staff on the, you know, the front line. They are struggling with filling their staff quotas at the moment because of people who are off sick, that the people who are there covering um, you know, we should appreciate them and say thank you to them. And, Absolutely. you know, write down when we when we make a phone call online and, you know, we get answered and somebody gives us their name, you know, hello, I'm so-and-so, you know, write, write down. And then, yes, if we get customer services, email to thank you, email to yeah. thank them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Well, I like that you're changing your takeaway, Isla. You're, you're I changing am. The, the script from Mozart to jazz. Well, we'll maybe see, we'll see what you've started, Kirsten. Uh, yeah, well, well, you can. We can all we'll improvise a bit. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> but that's, I think, that's I what think it's all can. about. It's about absolutely, saying. absolutely. You can you know, give people a framework 
they can they can improvise around mm. and and the framework will change anyway because once it's out of your head um everybody can improve it mm. That's fascinating. Thank you again, Kirsten, for sharing what is, I know, a tiny minuscule portion of your business <laughs> knowledge and experience. So tell us, what project are you working on now? Well, I'm working on a new package of, um, well, a new way of packaging what I do, which I'm calling the disappearing boss. I and love um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's excellent. And I'm, I'm, this year is my year. I've been running it on a one-to-one basis uh, for the last couple of years online, and that works really well. So now I'm looking at creating a group uh, version of it because, again, mm. <laughs> it's all about people learn better when they're connected with other people. So I'm putting together courses that will be group courses that will also be part of a big community of small businesses all learning together and from each other and helping each other that's the vision we'll see sounds good could you let us know about that will you Mm. you include us in keep let us yeah absolutely and yeah yes excellent that's really good just so before we come to a close question can you let us know how people can get in touch with you Yes, of course. So you can email me at kirsten at the disappearingboss.com. Nice. Um, LinkedIn, are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn as Kirsten Gibbs. If you search on Kirsten Gibbs, you'll find me. Um, I'm on Twitter as at the Gestalter, but I'm also on Twitter as Disappeared Boss, although I'm not tweeting much on that one. Um, and the website is thedisappearingboss.com. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, Kirsten, unfortunately, you know, the time runs out in these things, but <laughs> we are we're very grateful to you for sharing your story again. And it was it was lovely to remember that. Um, I hope our listeners will give some thought to their promise of value and their processes now. And if, if anyone needs any help with either, do get in touch with Kirsten. I'm sure she'll be happy to give you a few pointers. And she's a, a, a very good person to network with anyway. So, yeah, definitely head over, connect with her on LinkedIn if you're not already. Um, so we've come to the end of the podcast. Isla, do we have any announcements? Just to say, we love hearing your thoughts on the episode. So please keep them coming. Um, you can get in touch via our social media platforms. We're on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. Absolutely. And Isla and I are both on LinkedIn as well. If you would like to connect with us, we'd be happy to um, connect and interact with you. So it's time to say thanks to our friend and super sound man, Paul Cheese. Uh, Thanks for our super jingle and your editing magic. And of course, thanks go to you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed today's story and the discussions and that you'll join us for the next one. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries.